Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Now, what we have is principle, our principles. Now, these principles are born from God's Word. And so what they really want is what we got and how we got it, and we got it from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's all skewed today. So God says money does matter because often that'll help you with a family. Now, let me tell you the converse of that. Then money also can divide families. I wouldn't be a bit surprised that those that are hearing my voice today are living in a family that is broken apart because of the misuse of inheritance. You know the story where there's a will, there's a relative. You've heard that. You know? So when there's a will, where there's an inheritance, people are always trying to grab money. It's dividing families and not putting them together. So it's not just merely handing money to people. It's handing that money as an external commodity based upon the use of an internal relationship that they've learned from one another about God. And so again, God uses money to make a difference financially in our family tree to help one another first. All right, number four, God uses money for us to save for a rainy day, to set something back for safekeeping. Now, later on in another message, we'll talk about hoarding money, that God doesn't want us to hoard money. He wants us to save it. You might say, what's the difference between saving money and hoarding money? Hoarding money has the attitude of, you know, in case there's a catastrophe, my money is going to bail me out. So I want to have as much money as I can so that my money will be there to take care of me. What that does is it, um, it nullifies faith. In other words, I don't need faith if I have all the money that I can get. So we begin to hoard money. Some people hoard money because it just feels good because they have a lot of money and money is power, etc. And so we miss the whole loop with that. God wants us to save it. But at the same time, he says, don't worry about it because I'll be there to take care of you. So saving is good. Now, you'll see it in the context of this verse. All right. In Proverbs 21, 20, it says this. In the house of the wise are stores. And circle the, the second letter S. Not just store like one, but stores. I don't mean like grocery stores, but that means there's places. In the house of the wise are stores of choice, food, and oil. But a foolish man devours all he has. Now, when you look at food and oil right here, he could have said a wise man has jewelry and land and crops and, and, and animals and all the rest. He didn't say that. He said he has choice food and oil. But a foolish man devours all that he has. So how can we take a truth from that? In other words, he says a wise man will save for the basic needs of life. So while we're accumulating our wealth and our finances and our resources, it's to take care of our basic needs of life, that we make sure we have enough for that. Now, some of you might say, well, does that mean I shouldn't save for a car or for a house or something? I don't know that that would be something that would not be a basic need of life. I think we live today in a society that it would be very difficult for us to live our life if we didn't have an automobile. Now, there are some that don't. They live downtown. They take the bus, and we can still do that. But for the majority of us, we need transportation. In those days, it might be a donkey to get places to place. And sometimes with some of our cars, a donkey would be more dependable than our cars. The other would be 
that our house, all right, is it wrong that for us to have a house? No, it's not wrong for us. That's a basic need of life, and God promises that he would give us a covering. The word covering could refer to house or clothing or both. Not a popcorn mansion out there that looks so extravagant, but something that is a basic ministry center for which we can rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and at the same time use that center to help reach others to build God's kingdom. So that's a basic need of life. So it's not just acquiring a lot of wealth, it's acquiring the things that are going to provide for the basic need of life. But look at the last part of that verse. A foolish man devours it. So very simply it says this, the guy gets the money or he gets the resources, but as soon as he gets it, he uses them up. So he does have more month at the end of his money. He does have problems with his finances. And so I look to you and me that I, that again could be an indication of our own personal discipline. When we're given something, have we bought into society that we need to get more, we need to have more to make us feel better or to make life easier for us instead of maybe economizing a little bit with what we have? So God uses money for us to learn to save for a rainy day. And there are many other passages. I just picked this one. Number five, God uses money to discourage us from debt. God would much prefer for us not to be in debt. Now, we're going to talk maybe at another time about what is debt. Some people define debt as if you owe anybody anything. Others are if you don't owe them, but you're on a payback plan and you're making your payments on a regular basis, then you're really not in debt because you're keeping up with that. Others say if you have more assets than you have liabilities, even if you owe someone, someone else, your assets outweigh your liabilities, so you're not in debt. There's different ways people might look at debt. I just like for us to look at this verse. It says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a servant to the lender. So what you are looking at is a borrower does have to do more to surrender to the one who is going to loan them, and God wants us to surrender first and foremost to him and to him alone. Number six, God uses money and possessions to meet the needs of others. To meet the needs of others. In a very good book, and I would encourage you to get this book, it's a book called The Eternity Portfolio by Alan uh, Gothard, G-O-T-T-H-A-R-D-T, he is a, um, I believe he was a prominent attorney who became very, very um, uh, wealthy or ha had means. And then through that, he began to do an exhaustive study of scripture and how to approach funding. And he still maintains his practice, but now he also does counseling for Christians from a biblical point of view on helping them understand the whole concept to their portfolio, their financial portfolio. And I think anyone can gain from it because there's some deep principles in the book, but it's, I think there's some that'll make it uh, even more practical for those that have means. And so if you're in that position, I would encourage you to get the book, The Eternity Portfolio. At the end of it, he gives you some golden keys. I'm not going to go through those right now, but tremendous truths about your eternal portfolio. But if he would reduce it, he says, generally, the money, the resources that we have, first of all, is to take care of the basic needs of life for our family. Secondly, it is to meet the needs of those who are poor around us. And of course, he then defines all of that and explains what is poor and what's not poor and what's a handout, what's a gimme and all that. But to take care of those that are much less fortunate than we are. And then number three is to build God's kingdom. In other words, to use the funding that God gives to us so that we then could spread the gospel and he then defines it as a kingdom-building endeavor. So it's to meet basic needs, it is to take care of those who are less fortunate than we are, and then it's also to build God's kingdom. This would fit underneath helping someone who is less fortunate as well as building God's kingdom. And let's look at the passage now. It says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when it departed from Macedonia, so Paul is out doing ministry, he says, No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. 
So think about all the people Paul ministered to, but there was a group of Christians who somehow understood what their resources were to be used for. Then he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid, and you can circle that word, aid, once and again. And I like that last part. It says, for my necessities. It wasn't something that would make so much life just better for him, but it was, what, would, what did he really need? And so God says, money matters to me because I'm going to help you acquire what you need to have. I'm going to teach you how to manage it so then you will wisely distribute those funds to meet basic needs of your family, to help those who have a need, as well as to build God's kingdom in the process of doing that. I thought that's a great truth. And so as you look at your funding... Do you use your money wisely enough to actually provide for the need of your family? Are you using your money wisely enough so that you have enough left over to be able to invest in the needs of others? And then finally, are you using it to further God's kingdom building process? And Jesus comes back with a very good balance in all of this. He keeps our focus uh, in a proper place. And Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money together. And so in your own mind, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a proper balance to say, I can't do both. Some people say, well, I can do money and I can do God. I can do a little bit of both. God says, no, there is, this is not a gray issue any longer. It is all of God. You can serve God. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't use your money, but all of a sudden your money becomes tools to build with. They don't become toys to play with. So whatever you have that God's given to you, you're asking yourself, how can God get glory from this? And is it something I really need? Will it help me spiritually? Will it help my family spiritually? Will it help others spiritually? Will it build God's kingdom? Will it hinder me? Will it hinder my walk with God? Will it hurt in any way the kingdom building issue? So you're looking at this because it all boils down to, I love the Lord with all of my heart, all of my soul, and all of my mind. So today, let's go back over what we said earlier. We sang some great songs about worship today. And I got thinking that if we truly worship the Lord, if it's going to go beyond a wonderful song that is so harmoniously put together, if we are going to see the miracle of the moment, all of that put together, it would bring about in our life a changed life because true belief in a lifestyle now, believing that God is real and who He is and His worth is truth for today, then I should live according to that. It should change my life. So I don't sit in church and pick apart messages. I don't sit in church and say, should I be here or not or should I be somewhere else? It's like, I love you, Lord. I want this truth. I want to embrace it. I want the miracle changed life for that moment that you've given to me that truth. I got thinking as I looked at this, how that as I picked out one truth through the life of Jesus, then I went through the epistles. And then I went through the Old Testament and how they used funding there and who was rich and who was poor and what they did with it and how they had pride about it and they had to show everybody what they had and all that. As I looked through this and I saw the challenges, the, the, the dangers, the, the consequences of it all, I got thinking, the people that I love, they need to know these truths. They've got to have these truths. And I, I suffered so much under the fear of if I talked on money, people think I'm after their money. Or if I talk on money, they'll think I'm just giving pop psychology. And in reality, our whole life, every day, your life is affected or could be infected by money. And so can mine. Do you know that with the economy as bad as it is, in the research I just did this weekend, the number one mall in the entire United States that is making the most money in our economy is the Alamoana Mall. They make over $1 billion a year through that mall alone. 
where malls all across the country are boarding up, businesses are collapsing. And I'm saying that to say this, that we do need to talk to people and help them to understand what does God have to say about our money. I often wonder, if money is so important to God, then why don't we have a Sunday school class that just helps our people learn how that money and their relationship to the Lord is so important. Why don't we have a small group where people are saying, you know what, it's not about the money. Money is just kind of like a, it's like a thermometer telling us what we're doing with it and how we're doing with this thing to know how we are spiritually and what our spiritual health is. Why don't we have something like that? And some people say, oh, as long as you just teach the Bible. That's true. We do need to be doing that. But sometimes we need to take from God's Word those wonderful passages and drill down deep in those truths. As I continued this research, I came across a website by David Ramsey. And he said, there are two top reasons why people do not teach or people do not attend classes on good biblical money management principles. Number one, he said, they don't know how much money and possessions matter to God. And number two, most people don't realize how much of a problem managing money is for the average family. I have uh, wonderful parents. They're in heaven right now. Um, we had what we might call a, I guess, we were just kind of a middle-income family. My dad was in construction. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't sell Avon on the side, and my dad didn't work extra jobs. We think we were the last family in our neighborhood that ever had a color television. We didn't have much, but I do know this, that we never had bill collectors at the door. We never had the newest car. I never had the sharpest clothes, but we made it out all right. But I remember when I was a kid, I was about ready to buy my first automobile. And so my dad said, let's go out looking. You saved all your money for a car, let's go out looking. He took me along one of those streets that have all these car lots like they do there on the Alamoana Boulevard. And so as I'm going to all these cars, this was back in 1966. I was 16, had enough money, literally in those days, to have my own car. I found the car of my dreams. It was one of those slick, swift-back Ford Mustangs, and it was used. I wanted that car. I knew I could have that car. So my dad said, before you buy that car, you need to spend 24 hours, and I want you to sleep on it. And so I did. The next morning, he met me for breakfast, and he says, all right, let's go through your finances, how much that car is going to cost, your insurance, your gas, your upkeep, and all of this. So we made a whole chart in front of me. Do you want to know I was never so discouraged and despondent in all of my life? Do you want to know what that car morphed into? A 1962 Ford Falcon. Those of you that know Ford Falcons, it had three speeds. Slow, stop, reverse. That's all it had. But I had a dad that helped me go through that and taught me those principles. But the average family today, they're struggling. I struggle. We made some mistakes financially. I'm glad they weren't fatal in a sense, but they were still tough. Dave Ramsey says this, the statistics say that marital problems come because of finances. 37%, the highest rate of all marital problems are derived from financial situations. Number two, cash flow. 70% of all consumers live paycheck to paycheck, meaning they run out of money before the end of the month. Cash flow. Number three, savings. The average family would have to use a credit card to pay a $1,500 unexpected expense on their home if they had problems with their house or a car repair. They'd have to borrow money because they have no money to be able to repair it. And then number four, retirement. 
And I look at the age of our group here. Nearly half of all Americans, 46%, have less than $10,000 saved for their retirement. He goes on to say, It is a problem that affects everyone inside and outside the church. In fact, George Barna says that the fastest growing churches also are teaching about marriage, child rearing, finances, and careers. Money is a serious subject and God is serious about money, which is why we should study closely what He, God, has to tell us about these truths. Now, folks, you know me. You know that I'm not a financial counselor by profession. I know that you know that I'm a pastor, that my background is not economics, it's not investments, it's not accounting. My background is theology. It is going to be biblical principles or Bible teaching. The greatest theologian, teacher, and counselor of all, the Lord Jesus Christ, knew this. And he knew that money issues and possessions sometimes happen to be at the heart of our Christian life. I promise you that this series in the next three weeks is not going to teach you necessarily how to reach your financial goals, how to make more money, this, that, and the other. But I can promise you this, that it will be biblically based and Christ-centered on everything that I'm going to teach. It's not necessarily going to teach you what to do with all your money, but it will teach you that your money does belong to the Lord. I'm not going to focus on insurance and what insurance plans you should have, but I will speak on assurance. I won't talk about what kind of securities in which you should invest, but I will talk about security that you can have in Christ. I'm not going to talk about trusts or trust. I'm not going to talk about principle, but principles. I'm not going to talk about the enemies of inflation. I am going to talk about the enemies of your financial management. And so let me tell you what we're going to cover, and then I'm going to close. One we're going to cover next week, is it all right to have money? Number two, the next message is going to be, how do I bring financial stability to my finances and resources? Because I feel like we're kind of going like this. And then finally, no matter how good I am with my money, what happens when the economy stinks? And no matter what you might read about how it seems like we're at the bottoming out of our recession, I think the reality is, is that we're in for some really hard days ahead. And I want us to be properly prepared for it. Now, some of you are financially stable right now, and you're saying, I don't want to hear this. I need to hear other stuff. Let me tell you why especially you need to hear this. Number one is, how, how effective of a job are you as parents or grandparents in teaching your kids about their money, really? Really? And then number two, because you have learned these principles, however you got them and they're working for you, Maybe God wants you now to come alongside as a counselor, as a disciple of others to help guide them, others through the, the waters that are going to be mighty rough for them financially in the future. And God's going to use you. And so what you're going to learn are some great truths of how you can help someone else in these matters. I pray it in a very, very special way. Martin Luther said this. He said that about money. He said that for each of us, there must be not only the conversion of the heart and mind but also the conversion of the purse. Think about that. Now, I'd like to take issue a little bit with Martin Luther, and I really don't want to do that because he's such a great theologian, and he really essentially began the Reformation by faith alone. But I'd like to say, though, that often the conversion of the purse will be a lot easier when you have the conversion of the mind and the heart. And for those of you that are ready now to sense, all right, I know God says money is important. I want to learn what it has to say. I want to make some changes in my life. In order for you to have the power, the first thing you have to do is to humble yourself and to say, Lord, I did the best that I could, but I've blown it. 
I know that greed has taken over. I know that I mismanaged my funds. I know that I have used my money to not honor you. And Lord, I, I need help. I'm, I, I'm broken and I'm lost. And so your first conversion is to humble yourself and say, Lord, I need a savior. And before we can take care of your money and your purse, we have to take care of your eternal destiny. And the first thing you need to do is to say, Lord, I need you in my life. I need you as my savior. And so I'm not coming to you promising that I'm going to change this and change that. But I am telling you that I am turning myself totally to you. You are my savior, not my checkbook, not my investment, not my good works, not my deeds, but only you. And I believe that you died on the cross and you'll forgive me of all my sin. And I'm embracing you as my personal savior right now by faith alone. And I'm going to say that once you do that, he immediately says, he that trusts in me right now has everlasting life. You have everlasting life. You have God in you, the hope of glory. You have the Holy Spirit for power and for the ability to understand these principles because we're going to approach this thing a whole lot differently than any other perhaps sermon you've heard on money because money is just, it, it's, it's, it's what you do with it that makes it right or wrong. It's your heartfelt. I, we could go to Barnes & Noble right now, and I could take you through a lot of other good books on money things, and you could follow those books, and I promise you, you could actually get out of debt. You could be debt-free. But at the bottom line of all of that, if you did it for yourself merely to be debt-free, if you, if you did it for personal reasons to give more, to get yourself to heaven, you've missed the real root of this thing. It's to have an intimacy and a relationship with God as you're on this journey to become all that God wants you to be totally for Him. And so I want you to know that this whole message is going to be about your relationship with the Lord and all that other stuff will be a lot easier. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed. So as we move together through Scripture and discovering God's exciting truths, let's really commit ourselves to put our finances on solid ground. The ground is going to be the Word of God. The ground is going to be Jesus Christ. And so now is the time for us to come as a faith family and to say to, say to the Lord, Lord, I need you right now. I, I, I want you to know that I, I too, I want to make sure my finances are used in a way that will be honoring to you. I know that my ability to acquire what I have comes from you, but I need you as my Savior right now. I want you to forgive me for the times that I've used your money that... What I bought abused my body. It abused my mind. That how I spent my money, it wrecked relationships. How that I was prideful with my money. I had greed and I wanted more and more and more because I thought it'd give me more power. And Father, I know all of that is sin and I need to be forgiven of that sin. And I'm coming to you, Lord, just as I am a sinner. And I'm looking to you to forgive me of my sin because I know you are the Lord. And you are the king of kings. And you died on the cross for every sin I've ever committed. And I want to thank you for being my savior. And now, if you do that, simply say, Lord, I trust in you. But you really mean it. It's not a, a mental ascent. It's a heartfelt, complete reliance upon Christ. And him alone. I'd like to pray for you. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now, raising your hand won't save you. But it does indicate to me that you're trusting Christ as your savior. So is it right now where you're placing your faith alone in Christ and you'd like for me to pray for you? As you're looking to him to save you, to give you eternal life, and you're receiving him as the one now who will guide you through your financial dilemma. So that you too can have a new beginning. If you'd like for me to pray for you, would you slip up your hand now that today, right today, you're trusting Christ as your savior and you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all? All right, Christians, 
Let me just speak to you for a moment. <clears throat> Next week, we're going to begin answering the question, is it all right to have money? And we're going to find out what God has to say about it, but all through that will be wedded tremendous principles about the use of what God has for us so that we can handle this economic storm that we're in right now, and it could get worse. For some, it might get a little better, but we know that just like every season, there's going to be storms, and we might get better, and it might get worse, but we're going to have all the truths to be able to prepare for providing for our family the basic needs of life, for having the resources to provide for the needs, genuine needs of others, at the same time to be able to fund our missionaries and others to do kingdom building. Is there anyone who would like to have prayer because you too are asking God to help you to learn from God's word how to put your finances on solid ground? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone at all? Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for how that you have blessed us. And now, Father, that we're going to give an account of not only how we used our money, but why we used our money the way we did. And so, Lord, help us to learn that you're a God who's going to release us from this bondage and that we've got a great life ahead of us and that you promise maybe not so much prosperity, but the fullness of joy in it as we abide in your word. And, Father, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.